Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Soul Affirmations with Felicia and Kariga. With Kariga and Felicia. And who else? <laughs> and the listeners. Absolutely. On? Black Love Podcast Network. Yes. Couldn't do it without this community. Mm-hmm. I find that there is this beautiful new fabric of new listeners who are finding it from referrals or social. Mm-hmm. But I also like this loop back that's happening from people who are engaged in the Black Love community. Yeah. And how the episode refers them to this experience and what they're able to gather, it was really touching for me to read the feedback that came in. Man, I I just appreciate how every now and then, like I'll see a comment mm-hmm. of someone saying, Black Love brought me here. I saw your episode on Black Love or I listened to you guys on Dear Future Wifey podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's always just an abundance of love, right? Yeah. And when they find us, they're like, we're just so happy to see your family Mm-hmm. I just think it's dope that people are still being touched by the episode. Yes. And still watching. Yes. So thank you all for finding us. And finding us with your love. Yeah. It really impressed upon me when I realized you don't know who is watching. Mm-hmm. And when I say who, I mean like who outside of what may cross my mind. So to learn that someone in their 60s who has experiences that I could not even imagine mm-hmm. is finding truth in the love that resides. Mm, that is tight. That is so beautiful. I love when <laughs> truth resides in like, you know, dimensions that are different than the ones we see mm-hmm. present and maybe mm-hmm. how we identify. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. That's big, that's big love on the table. <laughs> yes. Speaking of big love on the table, I want to make room for your love to be expressed, for your truth to be expressed. And I have an affirmation that I think might help us engage. Okay. Go to your soul affirmations text. And I'd like you to turn to page 48. And if you're like me, I'm going to take a deep breath. (laughs) Today, I invite myself to live in the frequency of love. In this space, I'm called to remember how truly special my journey has been. Today, Mm -hmm. I invite myself to live in the frequency of love. In this space, I'm called to remember how truly special my journey has been. Thank you, Riga. I think that's a... Perfect affirmation for what today's conversation will be about. I had a friend who has been following our story, but she knows us personally. We went to Hampton together and she reached out and she said, Fee, did you have a V-back? I was like, yeah. She was like, I'd like to know more about your experience because I had a V-back too. And I didn't realize that I didn't share that I had a V-back. I also haven't really spent much time processing what that experience was like that led up to the VBAC. So I thanked her for asking and I feel like, okay, this is something that I could share that we could talk about. In Felicia fashion, I had to do some writing to understand more about how I was feeling about this process. Don't we just love when she (laughs) writes to reflect? I'm not going to read my my writing, but. I just saw all the people agree with me. (laughs) You did? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I realized, like I said, I, I have yet to reflect on my experience of a VBAC, past tense. But my feelings so far, I realized have been, if I were to describe it, I'd I'd say proud. And then I I was asking myself, well, what am I proud of? Like, what is this pride? And I realized, oh, 
I'm proud of my body. Mm. Like almost this kind of reconciliation, if you will. After losing Kamayu, and I'll be looking to you to help me go through the process, but after losing Kamayu, you were there. You remember when I first saw my body in the mirror. Correct. You saw the tears in my eyes. You may have even seen the dissatisfaction on my face, right? Mm -hmm. I was angry with how it looked, but not just how my body looked in terms of just my body singularly. I was upset with me looking the way that I did without the baby in the arm. And that was really, really hard for me to accept and process, mm-hmm. right? In reflection, and just really quickly, like, to elaborate more on what that anger was like, the anger was with feeling like my body had failed me. Failed me in the sense where I feel like my body didn't give me a sign that something was wrong or, or could go wrong, mm. right? So I was very angry about that. But also failed me in the sense that it did not save my baby, mm. And so after experiencing that loss and playing with the idea of these failures in my mind, I would have to look at it daily from that point and be reminded of this idea of failure, right? Mm -hmm. I have a scar. Mm -hmm. I had to have an emergency cesarean. So I have this scar. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it was hideous. Like it looks hideous to me. That's how it felt initially. I didn't like how it was healing and I didn't like that I had to heal without the baby. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this. I remember the first time the doctors came in and told us that we should wait to try to have a baby again. And they recommended nine to 12 months. Do you remember that I, initial conversation? Very much. And that was one of the most defeating mm-hmm. conversations mm-hmm. to have in the hospital where I just went through nine months. 10 months Mm -hmm. and I had a baby and I didn't get to keep her with me. And then I'm told that I need to wait so that my body can heal properly. Right. Mm -hmm. And all I have is this innate desire to mother a child physically here. That's all I want to do. So I think naturally in my mind, my first thought was like, okay, well, we'll just try again when we get home, you know? Mm -hmm. So to learn that it was recommended to wait for my body to heal properly was very hard. Felt like a dagger. You said defeating was a very, I think, clear communication of it. In your head, in my head, there is trying to process this news mm-hmm. and it feels like more punishment. Mm-hmm. That's what the initial onset felt like. It felt like punishment yeah. in that moment Yeah. because I couldn't understand immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seemed that it was further separating from me from that one of which I really desired yeah that's the punishment model I feel Mm -hmm. and I remember feeling like okay well that's just one doctor that said that right Mm -hmm. and every day I had a new doctor that would come in they all have different shifts and I would ask the next doctor and it would always be in the same ballpark 9 and 12 right Mm -hmm. this is the first time that I actually learned the term VBAC from these conversations Mm -hmm. I had never heard of a VBAC before what is a VBAC vaginal birth after cesarean I became Really well informed. (laughs) And when they brought this term to us that I should try for a VBAT, they also talked about all the risks associated with having a VBAT. Yeah. Like innumerable risks. Precisely. And the benefit of being able to bring your child here vaginally. But this small percentage that one of those risks could happen to you. 
right? But it's this long list of risks. Yeah, innumerable. <laughs> and I remember processing through the risk and assessing for myself, okay, well, if this happened, then I'll have to have a cesarean anyway. If this happened, I'll have to have a cesarean anyway. So I might as well just have a cesarean and we don't even have to wait nine months, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, we should just try in four months. Mm-hmm. And then four months came and mm-hmm. I, I recognized that I was not emotionally ready to endure that journey again. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, we'll do six months. Mm-hmm. And then same with the six months. And then I said eight months and same with that. And then we have 10 months. Can I just for a second mm-hmm. recall that journey? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't just the decision and everything leading up to conceive again and even have a conversation of whether it would be a VBAC or a cesarean. Mm-hmm. The emotion <laughs> of the thought of each month that you mentioned and every day in between, there was so much almost indescribable grief and what is good? What is a good time? What is pleasure? What is mm. intimacy? What is today? What is the journey of even being pregnant again like there were so many things that were distant so far distant so many questions the emotions were tense on so many days like those are the days we're describing where sometimes it feels like you wake up and you're under mm-hmm. sea level in grief when your feet hit the floor eventually whenever you have to face the day so that clock was also happening <laughs> while your body and your healing was also happening yeah. But they were just so very intense, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. But when we got pregnant again after that 10 months, here we are now faced with the reality of a birth plan, trying mm-hmm. to decide on a birth plan. I had made several intentions with Kamayu, very intentional about her birth. I knew that this birth plan had to be different. Mm-hmm. It was going to be different anyway, right? I was going to be closely monitored because I had a emergency cesarean, so... Either I was going to have a cesarean or I was going to try for the, the vaginal birth. But I remember going through understanding, okay, what am I going to do as far as the birth plan? And feeling like, man, forget all that. Like, let's just get the baby here safely. And if that means a cesarean, like, I want to have a cesarean. I, I want to ensure that this child gets here. Because I felt like, well, with a cesarean, I can do that. Yeah, granted, like, it'll be harder on my body, but I'll endure all the hardship to make sure that the child gets here. Yep. And I remember those early months being able to share those fears with you, share those concerns with you, and just be able to speak my truth about what it was that I was feeling, this fear of loss and pregnancy after loss, and also not even really wanting to make a decision about what to do because I was feeling like at any moment, I could lose this baby. Mm. Mm. So Mm. I really appreciate you, Riga, because as I reflected on it today, I recognized how much I depended on you to speak the truth of my feelings, to let my fears go by saying them out loud so that they wouldn't fester. Because being able to do that, it made room for me to actually see the truth that was within me. Mm. All I could do was take each day by day. Like literally, that's all I could do. All I had was the present. All I had was the moment, but it was not easy to accept because in my birth experience with Kumayu, I was the outlier, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at all of these risks that they talk about. That they call slim. And for us, they're very identifiable. Yeah. For me, I'm like, well, shit, that was outlier before. What would make it different this time? And I can recall having conversations with my friend Angel, 
who would tell me, Fee, you know, different pregnancy, different experience, just breathe. I remember talking to Dominica and she would ask, you know, have you decided what you're going to do? And I would just, I would tell her like, honestly, like I, I'm thinking that the cesarean is what it's going to be. I just want to make sure that the baby gets here. And I would share with her my fears and I would share like, this could happen. I could lose. And she said, yeah, but Fee, you don't know what's going to happen. And it was something about her saying that to me. And I was thinking, yo, you're right. Like that is actually true. I don't know. All I have is each moment. So I appreciate you all for those reminders because they help me remain present. You're smiling. I'm, yeah, I'm tripping off my smile because I heard you smile. And I'm <laughs> I'm tripping like, damn, when we start smiling in this part, right? But what I'm realizing is I remember when we experienced the freedom of you speaking and the fears out loud. Mm-hmm. Because I knew they couldn't weigh on the future. But I only knew that, unfortunately, because I also know that doubts, worries, and the prayers that I had before didn't change my future. Mm-hmm. So I was in this different state of present mm-hmm. that doesn't interrupt my faith with God, but it's also very different because it's it's daily bread. Like with pregnancy after loss, it's literally day by day because that's all you have. It's not a fear that you can project on yourself. It's a lived experience that you had exactly. you experienced the loss. So it's incalculable when or if it could occur because you don't know. Yeah. So it's not the absence of faith, but it's this very present acknowledgement that I don't have anything other than this moment Mm -hmm. and trying to get through a pregnancy after loss on a day by day approach with the emotions that waver up and down and Mm -hmm. up and down and scary. And I remember moments where everything would be appearing fine, except for Felicia not feeling like she felt Kamali move enough. And these moments would happen throughout the pregnancy and (laughs) I would have to know, Mm -hmm. not hope, not guess. I would have to know in that moment that my baby is okay. Not a counter truth. Mm -hmm. I'd have to know because I'm connected to you. Mm. And as you would say, right, I would walk in a room and touch her or reach for her. Y'all was connected. And here she (laughs) goes. She would always move when Karina would touch my belly. She was thumping to remind me of... uh, 15 in the trunk of the cutlass what (laughs) that's how i felt i felt her strong yeah but i like that you said what i had was my lived experience i remember being offered you know if you just think positively about it hey my thinking cannot be categorized in a positive or negative like this is it just is this is my lived experience that informs how i think about things and the decisions that i make you mean you want me to be more positive than I was positive before? I'm telling you, like, that's going to change the, the outcome. Hell? Like, so I had negative thoughts. Ever? Nah, nah, bruh. Nah. nah it, wasn't ha- it wasn't my thinking, <laughs> bruh. Nah. Ooh, that used to be a spicy trigger. Oh, man. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? I forgot about all I those remember, triggers. I remember. I was, yeah. I forgot about those triggers. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember moving accordingly. I remember engaging and not engaging in several conversations based upon how people could you know afford to communicate but many of them came from uh, their thoughts of what's positive and because the grief is so uncomfortable to sit with yeah (laughs) somebody really just like muster up all the positivity they can find as if that like grief don't exist (laughs) right and the shit really get me to this extent because it's like you so badly want to change what my experience already is there's nothing you can do about my truth. And as it is, mm-hmm. you could just like love me. Yeah, just love me. Uh, engage. You can actually serve before you advise. Right? <laughs> I think 
How about we name that for folks in grief as we engage? Serve before you advise. There's just ways to meet needs. You can do it with words. You can really affirm people with words. You can see and acknowledge them with words. Mm -hmm. Or you can do in action. But yeah, let's just like serve before we advise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because even if you had a loss, like no two glasses break the same. They don't. Right? Some people's fighting hospitals and have to engage in lawyers and time work. Like it's all different types of parameters that affects people's reality. So just like love them and serve. It also informed a large part of why we were just so choicefully silent as much as we had to be. I had to be. Had to be. I couldn't take everyone's brains processing my experience and lending more advice without service. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just I, I couldn't and I'm I'm really glad that we did it that way because I needed to be present in that way for this experience with all that it entails, the fears, the sadness. I like that Delise said that in her feedback to me, fear and sadness. I understand that completely. This fear that you have and this deep sadness because you so badly wish that you didn't have to carry the fear and you would you want to be able to connect with the child like you did with the previous mm-hmm. child. It's mm-hmm. very nuanced. Mm-hmm. All of those things were present with me and I had to move through them each day, moment by moment, up until I think, what was it about the eighth month? That's when our doctor was saying, okay, we need to start thinking about how we're going to approach this. And I was not ready to make a decision. Yeah, I remember going home with the paperwork that he gave us for the VBAC. Mm-hmm. I remember literally like reading through all of the risks. It had so many <laughs> risks on the paper. And I'm thinking like, why the hell would I do this? And like the number of women that successfully do it, even though it's all of these risks, how the small percentage that a woman is likely to experience the risk. And like I said, I felt like I was the outlier before. Shit, this could for sure happen to me again. I remember our doctor being so flexible with us. Yeah. And he was like, okay, you don't have to make a decision today. Yeah. You know, take your time. And it gave me an opportunity to do a little bit more research on what a VBAC entails and what questions I would want to ask. Can I just shout out Dr. D real quick? Yeah, because you shout out my doctor. It was so amazing. <laughs> a lot of these visits were happening during COVID, so I could not assist Felicia. But he understood us. He knew our story. He was our doctor. Mm-hmm. So he would come out after each visit and come see me. <laughs> just come look me in the eye. Embrace an elbow. And that was so amazing. I think when we talk about pregnancy after loss and pregnancy during COVID, and what fathers may experience or like what it feels like to sit in the car mm. holding on to your no that things are okay but you know that this is a space where more can be find out than just your gut mm-hmm. right you get to have critical information part of that critical information is a whole other part of this pregnancy fee mm-hmm. that i want to bring to the conversation we experience placenta privia yep that's right i have placenta privia which actually can happen more so for those who have experienced a cesarean so if you get pregnant again it's a chance that your placenta can position itself right on your cervix which is what happened with me Mm -hmm. if that should happen then you're automatically you're going to cesarean there's no chance of a VBAC in that case. Yeah, because the placenta would come out first. Yep. And that's not how it goes. So <laughs> so this also informed another layer of this pregnancy and this journey to a VBAC. But I also want to name that like 
our choiceful silence around certain spaces was based on healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we do this healthy? Right. We appreciate the love and blessings, but it comes with a whole assortment of advice, you know, well-intended adages that sometimes don't add up. Mm-hmm. So you navigate this, but on top of that, managing the emotions, the anxiety, the stress, the fear. Felicia and I previously would use exercise as a form of connection, engagement, time to be present and just let it out. But she was on pelvic rest. Yep. I could not do what I normally would do. She could not do any of the things she normally did that brought her comfort leading up to that. So now you are having to trust your body, but you can't do what you want with your body in hopes that you can have an outcome. But right now, everything is informed. It is not going the way you would desire. And that scared me. When we learned that, that scared me just because of our previous experiences. I was kind of feeling like, damn, like to have experienced pregnancy after loss, why can't this pregnancy be easy? Shit. You know, like, like was exactly, how am I not owed that? That's how I felt. There we go. That's the emotion. I remember that chapter. How am I not owed that? I was sick, right? Like, <laughs> oh, real sick. I was real sick. I was not sick with Kamayu at all, but Kamali made me sick. Real sick, like the uh, after love conversation. Oh, man. Like, Y'all, real sick. <laughs> our after love conversation. Yeah. Oh, that was a hard read for me. <laughs> yeah. Those feelings, right? Like, why am I not owed this? Why can't I have joy? Why is this experience like this? Why am I dealt this hand and I have to watch everybody else like live in their pregnancy with bliss? I remember the bliss. I don't have that anymore. I'm robbed of my bliss. Mm. That was hard to accept because I was pregnant with so many people as well. Yeah, I listen and I watch and rightfully so they feel the way that they feel. And I wish I could feel that way. That was tough. I remember that. But before we started talking, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the placenta privia because I actually forgot to mention that, that. But that's a whole layer of the emotion of how come I'm not yeah. old and easy pregnancy. Yeah. Right. And so we waited for the placenta to move. No, we waited in hopes that the placenta in would move. In hopes that it would move. Yes. The percentage isn't in favor of it moving after certain increments along the pregnancy. So we were waiting as long as we could to mm-hmm. figure out what the placenta would do mm-hmm. because it had not moved mm-hmm. in month three or four or five. It mm-hmm. was still there. Yeah. Six, so seven. We, we saw the high risk doctor, right? Yep. It had moved what, maybe a centimeter and it needs to be two centimeters for us to be able to have a vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. But in the process of trying to decide whether or not I would do this, if it should move, I remember having to do my research and ask questions, right? I also, when I learned I had a fibroid too, so it's like all this stuff coming up. I realized like, okay, there are different types of scars when you have a cesarean. And because mine was an emergency cesarean, I wasn't even aware of what type of scar that I had. Nobody even talked to me about the type of scar that I had. So I was concerned that I'd had a transverse scar, which means I would have to have a cesarean again. Also, there are two scars when you have one, right? So there's the one on the skin and then there's the one underneath. And so I wasn't sure what I had underneath. And that was a concern for me. I was trying to figure out, okay, did that happen? And then another big concern was, is there an anesthesiologist on the floor at all times? Like I need to know because if something should go wrong, if I'm attempting the VBAC, Mm -hmm. I need someone to be there right away. Say there's like a a rupture or something Mm -hmm. with the uterus. I need someone to be there so that we can again have this, emergency right 
the other question, like, because of my loss, well, what if I don't go into labor, if I don't go into labor until like after my due date, can, can I decide later to have a C-section, right? Because mm-hmm. I, had, I went to 41 weeks with Kamayu and I was thinking, well, if, if I go to 41 weeks again, maybe I should just do this. Yeah. Is there a difference in me scheduling a procedure in advance versus needing one during a trial of labor? And we learned there was a difference. Yeah. So all of these things came up, all of these questions. But my doctor, being as dope as he is and just understanding what our experience has been, because I could not formally decide like how to do it. And thanks to also our therapist that I was able to talk to. And she kept reminding me to be flexible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My doctor scheduled me for a cesarean and told me that I can cancel it. If I decide that I want to have the vaginal birth Mm -hmm. and I literally went up to the 39th week and I decided, okay, I'm not going to go with it. And that's how I went into my VBAC. I love that you were given the time Yeah, that someone saw you, your doctor, of course, but that someone saw she's not being difficult. She needs time Mm -hmm. and in time and with time, Mm -hmm. only with time, will you be able to arrive at what is best for you? Yeah. But I'm grateful. It was such a unique route. This pregnancy was, you know, like, of course, okay, different children, okay, different. But I mean, different in every way in terms of complication. What does this mean? Have to do a whole new set of research. It literally was an entirely different pregnancy insofar as the research was different. Not just because we were curious and wanted to be more informed every step of the way. We were very informed every step of the way. This was different. It was a different pregnancy in nature. So you had to learn all these new terms and new experiences and have new appointments and new high risk doctors and new technology. Mm -hmm. Right. All these things that we didn't experience before. So it was like a constant learning curve. Yeah. There was not a day of just sitting back like, okay. I guess I neglected to say like, so the placenta did move Mm -hmm. two centimeters away. That's why I was able to do it this way. Mm -hmm. But yes. We went past that scheduled cesarean date. I moved forward and, okay, I'm just going to continue to do this moment by moment as I had done with my support. And here comes the 40th week, right? And this is when it started to feel a little bit familiar. And I have to admit that that kind of, that scared me. Because mm-hmm. again, I went to the 41 weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm like, each day, <laughs> you know, I'm getting text messages from loved ones asking, all right, where are we at? Mm. anybody who <laughs> has been pregnant you get this question i'm minding my damn business <laughs> especially in that full term everybody got a question that, all right all right so what's going on what is the baby here is the baby coming and i mean every single day felt very much like it did with kamayu so here i am experiencing oh, this sorry. again right and also it being full term again very much you know they say the second one is supposed to come quicker full <laughs> Well, Full term. I went and I told Kamali it's time to come. <laughs> I told her it's time to come up. Well, I didn't schedule an induction, but. And we didn't say Kamali it's time to come because we didn't know her we name. We didn't know her name, by the way. You're right. <laughs> but very similarly to my experience with Kamayu, I was having these contractions and her heart rate would be dropping. And it was something that the doctors noticed and they felt like this is too much of a drop. And because of your history. We're going to monitor you. Mm -hmm. And we went in on the 40th week on that day. Mm -hmm. And they decided, we're going to keep you and monitor you. Boy, was that an experience. (laughs) 
Uh, that was an experience. Do you remember that day? I do remember that day. Do you remember where you thought you were going that day? I thought I was going to Costco to fill up my deep freezer. Y'all listen, she thought she was preparing <laughs> for the long I haul. told my mom, my mom was here. I said, all right, mom, we got a doctor's appointment and then I'm going to um, come back because I, I want us to go to Costco so I can fill up my deep freezer. Y'all, this, so this, I this said, is we'll truth. be here about four o'clock. And she said, okay. And hey, y'all listen to me because, you know, we're not in active labor. At that time, like you, we couldn't see nothing, feel nothing. So Felicia has it in her head. She got to go to Costco to fill the deep freezer. I'm sitting back like, you know, at this time, I happen to think we're going to Costco too. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. But no, we ended up going to uh, try the labor. <laughs> uh-huh. And they monitored me and they believed that this was something that I could do. We did the induction, mm-hmm. the, the saline or whatever. The saline solution. Yeah. The inflatable saline. The inflatable saline in that night. We were just waiting for it to come out Mm -hmm. and it didn't come out until the next day. But I remember the feeling of like, all right, here we go, Mm -hmm. because I had gotten much further than I did with Kamayu. That was the thing. Our labor was still slow, but we were waiting to get further along in her dilation. Yep. And I got to four centimeters. I hadn't gotten to four centimeters with Kamayu. Mm -hmm. This was a really big thing for me. And I started to feel like, okay, I can do this now. But then that day was long. Forever. That day was long. And the entire day, right? They're monitoring me. They're, I forget what it's called, where they're helping me with my contractions. Pitocin. Pitocin. Yeah. Every couple of, what was it like, every hour or two hours, they Mm. were upping the dosage. And I knew that I couldn't go past a certain point because I had had a cesarean. But before we get there, wow, it's unique recalling the story and how Felicia recalls it and what I recall. Mm -hmm. Because Every day since that day, her life has been so very different and the information she holds. So I'm glad I'm here with this conversation this way, because I also remember that Felicia was so careful to advocate for herself. Any of the recommended dosages of medicine, she inquired if she could have a little less because she was afraid of not feeling something and not remembering something. The threshold of delivery for her, it impacted her memory. She couldn't feel and she wanted to be present. So watching her advocate for herself and me having to reinform the doctors on why she feels this way, but it also gave her more control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that you have control, but I mean, more control in terms of her body and the medicine they're giving her. Mm-hmm. That was really important for you. Thank you, babe. And I remember that day only getting to five centimeters. That's it. After- <laughs> and how defeating that was. A whole day. Ooh, that was a hard one to wake up to and... I had so far to go and it seemed like I was just moving so slow. Very much. But I had such an amazing birth team there. Squad. An amazing team of doctors, black women doctors and nurses. This is true. Even Therese. Yeah, I have my Filipino homies in there. Yes, they cared for me with so much love and intention. They all knew my story and they were watching me very closely, listening to my concerns answering all of my questions. There is a level of professionalism and decorum that people use and choose, and they can do their job above and beyond standards. Mm -hmm. We brought a picture of Kamayu, and we brought her candle to the delivery room. She's a part of our family and with us, Mm -hmm. but wanted them to understand what our family looks like, Mm -hmm. what our family story is, and who this child is to us. Mm -hmm. They all did remark on her beauty. I do remember (laughs) that, but they were so engaged in learning who she is Mm -hmm. how she came to be in our lives Mm -hmm. very understanding 
And because this particular nurse understood that, mm -hmm. she knew that there was going to be a gap shift. And the gap shift is where you might have several nurses filling a small shift, like like two hours. That's right. Until the next on shift nurse comes in. But then you can lose information when it goes through that many people. This is when she became a homie. <laughs> she opted to extend her shift after doing eight hours already. She did another four to hold the gap shift down so she can transfer the information directly to the next nurse who she knew personally and thought would be great for us. Man, and was she great? She had it. She had it. But I just down. thought that was so amazing that above her shift, yeah, her heart as a person connected to us and she did that for us. Yes, she And it did. gave us the peace of mind to know that our experiences, because mm -hmm. the labor was so long yeah. and we were so concerned. Yeah. That our experiences, minute by minute, mm -hmm. could be transferred to the next incoming staff mm -hmm. because every minute counts. Unfortunately, we—that's our reality. We were every minute was important, so yeah. we didn't want you to misunderstand what she's saying, how she's feeling, yeah. or how long she's been feeling this way. Yeah, they were very, very good about holding us close and monitoring, mm -hmm. which also gave me some comfort. I will say in moving forward with the VBAC, I knew that okay, if I'm doing that. I'm going to have a high-risk doctor present and there's going to be all eyes on me mm -hmm. in attempting to do this. So, man, I, I thank you for bringing that into the space because it is evidence of how their care and how closely they were to us. Yes. And she passed me off to the right nurse, man. Yes, she did. She came in and she said, we are having this baby before my shift is over. <laughs> and she looked me in the eye and told me that and I believed her. And I looked at her and said, what time do you get off? Because <laughs> I have another story to tell you. If you think this is going to be a quick and easy ride, yeah. this has been a long, engaging one. So I need to know what time you get off. Yeah. She said she got off at 11. <laughs> 11 at night. Yeah, she did. And she monitored my Pitocin. She worked my body. She turned me around, had me sitting up, moved my legs up. And I mean, so many different positions to help the baby move down. She was so good. And the next day I got to seven centimeters. Yep. But here's the thing. In between the five and seven, there was the concern that we might have to be rushed into an emergency cesarean if she was not That's right. making the progress because she wasn't dilating fast enough anymore. And that measured against the heartbeat mm -hmm. and her heart rate. Those are the two variables they had to watch because the labor was really long. Yeah, it was. And Julia was like, no, nah, this is happening. We're going to do this here. And I learned that her commitment to ensuring that this would happen was because her sister had experienced a loss at 39 weeks just mm -hmm. a few months prior. Mm -hmm. And she said she planned on telling her sister this story of our baby coming, mm. that it could happen for us. So when she shared that with me, I mean, we were already connected, but I knew like, okay, I felt like I was in good hands. I want to express that in those types of moments you think of all the probability all the variability you can look at it numerically if you want to the odds that someone is holding this in their heart as their reality who's come now to take care of you mm -hmm. as a husband who couldn't fix or change many things but could pray and cover my family y'all gotta understand that this is for me this is celebration this is evidence of the prayer that we would be seen and taken care of. You want the best medical. You want the best bedside manner. You want the best people. The right hearts in the room. Mm -hmm. I remember she was from Uganda. And she said also that she could not do this alone. Is it okay if she prays? <laughs> and I said yes. And she said in Jesus name. 
I said, <laughs> yes. And that was also a part of the experience in that room. Yeah. She saw and saw and saw more. Yep. And it was literally down to, what was it? Seven o'clock. They checked my cervix and I was at nine centimeters. Right now, Julia got off at 11. That was the time her shift was over. And well, this is over the course of three days, three days, y'all. When we found out that we were at nine, I just cried. Like, I can't believe I had made it this far. She was so sure that it was about to happen that as soon as all the doctors left, she started setting up for my delivery. <laughs> this is early in the day. The sun, is, the sun is still. She started putting the, all the stuff together she for my delivery. She really believed this baby is coming. She sat me up. She turned my bed into a chair so that the baby would, would drop yeah. down further into my cervix. And I remember her telling me like, when it's time turned to you push. around on all four. Well, yeah, that's how we got to nine. She had turned me around. Yeah, but you said when, when you said they turned my bed into a chair, it didn't suggest that you were not sitting down. Anymore. No, this is when I was sitting down forward, and she brought me a popsicle. Oh, okay. You remember? Okay. Oh, you were sitting down. Okay. I was. She had me propped up yep, sitting. I do recall. And she brought me a popsicle, and she told me when it's time to push that I would have to push like I was having a poo. And I said, what? I, nobody had ever shared that with me, by the way. I did not know that that was the way. Okay. So when she said that, I was like, that makes so much sense to me. <laughs> and I got tired sitting up that long. I asked her if I could lay back down and she asked what side I picked my side. And I remember feeling those contractions and I was thinking, okay, it's like nine now. Right. And I was thinking like, all right, the next one that comes I'm going to push like I'm having a poo to see if I can push the baby down into my cervix. And they kept telling me I would feel it when it happened. Mm -hmm. And boy, did I feel it. And I and I told her, I said, Julia, I'm ready. <laughs> and she came and she checked me. She said, it's time. <laughs> and she got everybody in there. Yeah, she brought me a popsicle, too. Did she? Yeah, that part out. <laughs> I was in there, man. It was man. a long shift. I need a popsicle. <laughs> My experience was happening no, you're alongside right. yours. You're right, babe. You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. I will not minimize that. No, no it's, it's not that it even, you don't have to minimize it. It doesn't belong. I'm just saying, inside that room, she saw me, y'all. She did. Y'all don't get it. She saw me. She didn't have to bring me that popsicle. <laughs> she asked me what flavor I wanted. Yeah, we got cherry. Come on, somebody. <laughs> yeah, and she positioned me before even the doctors came in. She had us ready to go. My mom started playing gospel music. That was not my playlist. <laughs> I remember. My doctor came in, a Nigerian woman, mm -hmm. young lady, mm -hmm. who reminded me of our cousin, Narika. Mm -hmm. They positioned me and guided me for my pushing, and it took me 45 minutes. They were amazing. This team of Black-led women who I will not dismiss the fact that there is proof many of us we're bopping our heads to the rhythm of the music. Because <laughs> on, on video, we got my doctor. She is bopping her head. It's the music of our story. It's it the is. music of our hope. It's the music that we are so closely connected to. Everyone in that room understood who Kamayu was. We were waiting to meet this new child. No one just came in to just do a job. They understood the temperature, the heart in that room. Yeah. There was also a NICU nurse in there who I liken her to a ninja of delivery. <laughs> She was so on beat, yeah. so ready, yeah, so calm, so secure, so sure. Yeah. Much like Kamayu when Kamali came out, she was not breathing right away. Rock my world. So you can imagine the fear because I was waiting to hear that cry. I wanted to hear the cry. And so when it happened, I saw how her head flopped. Boy. Oh, 
scary. That was scary. But like Kariga said, our Niku nurse was a ninja. And she put Kamali on my chest first, cleaned her up, and then quickly took her over to her station. And I remember my mom having joy this time around. Wow. I'm sorry. I just realized that the juxtaposition between those two birth experiences. I remember my mom with Kamali, she fell. And I remember watching her fall and how it broke my heart because I felt like she had lost faith in that moment. I needed Mm. her to stand for me. But I remember this time around, I'm watching my baby waiting for her to breathe, waiting to hear her cry. And my mom was already celebrating this time. So, wow, the difference I just realized in those experiences. And she had every right to rejoice. Because as soon as I heard that cry, it was the sweetest song. One Mm. of the sweetest songs I ever heard. So... Just a, what an experience to process. And I can recall that that night I could walk differently. I couldn't walk after my cesarean, but this time I could walk. And I remember walking and seeing myself for the first time. And I was proud and I thanked my body for what it had done. So that is my experience with the VBAC. And maybe about two days later, nurses kept coming to the room asking if we had a name. (laughs) <laughs> and we told them we are tired we have not had a chance Man, i'm tired we haven't had a chance to think through the name we didn't we were just trying to get to this day but when we heard her cry and that was the sweetest song we knew that she would be kamali sade so <laughs> bailey yeah i also want to say as a liner note they didn't just tell her to push like she's having a poo in delivery she had to Push like she was trying to poo to the sky. That's they what they told said, her. to the sky. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that's hard, hard. But that's how hard she had to push. Sustainable. It's sustainable pushing. And Felicia <laughs> was phenomenal. I remember this side of the story. They could not believe how strong she was to push that sustainably, to disengage when they told her to disengage. And she was immediately ready to re-engage when they told her to re-engage. She pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And there was not a lot of crying. She wasn't crying. She didn't cry until she wanted to have that experience of her experience Kamali on her chest. She was pushing and fighting. It was another level of purpose. She caused reconciliation. We didn't know what it would be in the end, but it was her whole fight, her whole body, her whole being. She gave it everything she had through the pregnancy, having to adjust to placenta privia, being on pelvic rest, changing the very way she moves and flows, and then to have that stellar performance. She was present. She advocated for herself. The nurse asked her permission to increase the Pitocin when they were in agreement. The ride started to pick up and feed delivered our beautiful baby Bailey girl again. <laughs> and I have the deepest level of love and admiration and respect and appreciation for what you've done for our family. And to hear you say you thanked your body is so important to me. Mm-hmm. I remember how off putting some of my compliments were to you. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel true to you. Not that I wasn't telling the truth, but you couldn't see it. So I would say it. And I would say it, I would say it. And sometimes 
I would write it so to hear you thank your body is so important because that's the same body that keeps this family well. Mm. You feed, you nurture, you care, you give so much. And I'm so glad you can have that experience. Thank you, babe. Love you. So I would like to close with this affirmation. I think I reconcile with my body. And thank you also for your affirmations that you put around the house to affirm my experience in the pregnancy. At page 44, and it reads, I am unconditional love, abundance, high vibrational experiences, and sacred connections. Mm. So thank you, Tiffany, for the question. And thank you all for tuning in with us. Thank you, community, for holding space for a conversation this intimate. You heard all the tone changes and the tears. <laughs> we love y'all for being here uh, for us and being part of this community on the Black Love Podcast Network. Be sure to follow. Yes. Engage. Yeah. Review. Yeah. Even send me a question. And refer a friend. Yes. This production is executive produced <laughs> by Tommy and Cody Oliver. That's right. Produced by Crystal Hill. That's right. You know that? And edited, edited by Masu McLemore. That's right. Thank you all for being such an amazing team. May we all love more abundantly. Peace. Till next time.